letter. And then later, so you and I could find it, somebody added the chapter and verse breaks and they did a really good job. But there's places where um, maybe you think they, they, they missed it. They tried to find a break in thought or idea. And this might be one of those places where verse 28 is kind of chapter 16, just kind of sits on its own. And it would seem to go better with the, with the construction of chapter 17 than verse 16. And the verse by itself, standalone, is, is kind of hard to understand until you realize that Jesus is talking in the context of the transfiguration. So let's look at 1628. It says, Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So some would say, you know, hard to understand because all of these disciples that Jesus was talking to all died 2,000 years ago. What does Jesus mean? Some will not see death until they see Jesus coming in the kingdom. Well, just in about six days, he was going to take three of those 12 that he was talking to and they're going to get a taste of the glory. You know, my favorite um, Bible theologian in the world who I, I heavily rely on in most of my studies is a, is a theologian by the name of Nacho Libre. What? And not, not, yes, Nacho Libre, he says, you know, you got to get a little taste of the glory. And so Jesus is about to give the disciples a little taste of the glory here in this chapter. And so we'll see if you just read 28 and you stop, you finish chapter 16, it can be confusing Unless you just keep reading, then it starts to make sense that Jesus was going to give them a little glimpse of the kingdom in this chapter. And it says in chapter 17, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. So this high mountain, without a doubt, is a a place in northern Israel called Mount Hermon. It's the highest point in Israel. It's in the northern part of Israel, and it actually snows there. And, And believe it or not, Israel has a ski lift in their country. The one place, it's true, you can YouTube it, and it doesn't snow there often. It's definitely not a park city, but um, they do get snow, and they have a lift, and um, that's in the north part. Now, where Jesus just left was in the northern part of Israel. We've been talking about it for two, two weeks. It's an area of Israel called Caesarea Philippi. It's that area where the headwaters of the Jordan, Jordan River comes out of. It's lush. It's green. It's beautiful. It's one of the most fa- favorite stops on our trip to Israel we're going to take here in a little bit. And we'll also visit um, Mount Hermon when we go, and we'll see the northern part Usually not snowing the time of the year that we're there, but we'll get to see this place. So no doubt Jesus took them up on this mountain. And it says in verse 2, And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. So Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. And some say, why would Jesus take Peter, James, and John? Well, it seemed like he was always taking these three. And, and Peter, whenever you, you read the list of the disciples' names, his name is always mentioned first. He seemed to be somewhat of a leader among the, the group. But Gail Irwin, I like what Gail Irwin says. He says, no, he didn't take these three because of that. He took these three because they were the remedial class. And he couldn't trust these three clowns by themselves. So he kept them very close to him. And that would fit with Peter. I don't know how much about John. John was more of a serious guy and more of a, a, a serious disciple. But Peter, for sure... But nonetheless, Peter, James, and John seem to be the inner circle that, that Jesus did seem to separate on, on multiple occasions in the Gospels. And he takes them, and it says that he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. And so, and behold, verse 3, Moses and Elijah appeared with them, taking with him, talking with him. So, a couple things here. Um, Jesus is transfigured, and we get this this one of the, the defining moments, one of the highlights of Jesus's life in ministry is this point of transfiguration. And, you know, part of the, the natural question is, well, what's going on here? And why did Jesus show his glory? And why did he take James and John and Peter aside and, and have Moses and Elijah come from heaven and join him? And, and then Jesus kind of took his flesh off for a minute almost and let them see him as Jesus really would be in his glory his his he transfigured he shone he the same jesus that would after he died on the cross and rose again the third day and he walked through walls as he entered the house where the disciples were and locked doors and never opened the doors and in that thing that we call biblically a glorified body that shines and radiates the light 
what, what is going on here? And why did Jesus show them the glory? And so a couple, couple things we'll try to help understand today um, as we go through this and what happened. Moses and Elijah also appeared. And, you know, what's, what's cool is that um, Peter and John, who had never obviously met Moses and Elijah, immediately knew who they were. I'm sure they didn't have name tags on. Hello, my name is Moses. Hello, my name is Elijah. And so, you know, the Bible says that, that when we're transfigured, when we go through this metamorphosis that Jesus says here, which is what's going to happen to every one of us, this flesh that you have, you're not going to live in it forever. But your spirit, amen. But your spirit is, I see a couple of you guys going, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be buff in heaven. That's what I know. I'm going to have me some long Rico Suave hair and I'm going to. Rock, I'm gonna get rid of this bald spot, that's for sure. Yeah, my no, I'm just gonna, I was gonna say some other dreams, but I'm gonna stop because I'm gonna lose my train of thought. So, so the Bible says that in that state, it says that when we when we see Jesus, what's cool is there, there's going to be a quickening. The Bible says John tells us in First John that there's going to be a quickening that's going to happen in our hearts, and it says that we're going to know Him, capital H. We're going to know Jesus as we're known. And so in that moment, when we go to heaven, whether we go up in the rapture or whether, we, um, whether we, we die and we meet Jesus, that there's a quickening. And in heaven, we're going to know him like we're known. We're going to see people that we've never seen before. We're going to immediately know who Peter is and who the people are in heaven. And, um, you know, and there's this, this instant recognition. And so we see that. And then it says that um, in verse 4, that Peter answered and said to, that, to Jesus, Lord... It is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, I love it. In Mark's gospel, he gives us an extra detail here, and he tells us that um, Peter didn't know what to say. Peter just was like, uh, uh, and so he just started talking. You know, he's a typical preacher, right? Like, just felt like he should be saying something. And so, um, and Mark's gospel says, like, he just opened his mouth and put his foot in there, and he was nervous and didn't know what to say, so he just comes up with something. And then look what it says in verse number five. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice of the cloud came out saying, Peter, shut up. (laughs) So, you know, stifle Peter. You know, when it says while he was still speaking, it means that God didn't even, you know, let him finish his sentence. He just talked over him because it wasn't time for Peter to talk. And when you don't know what to say, that's not always a point just to open your mouth and say something because you feel like you need to be talking. One of my pastor used to tell me it's, it's better to keep your mouth shut and let people think you're a fool than open your mouth and dispel all doubt. <laughs> so Peter should have just kept his mouth closed, but he didn't, unfortunately, because he's Peter. And the Lord tells him, stifle Peter. And then he says, listen, in verse 5, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. I hope you guys have that underlined in your Bible. Hear him. So it, it's... You know, the last thing that, that recorded that, that Mary says is, is for people to, to do what Jesus says. It's there at the wedding in Cana of Galilee, and Mary is there, and Mary tells the servants to listen to Jesus, to do what Jesus says. The Father says on multiple times of Jesus, this is my beloved Son, hear ye him. And we see here, just like at Jesus' baptism, where God speaks from heaven, an audible voice over, over God. I was at 180 Ministries on Thursday. Lydia and I spent some time there, and um, we got to, got to spend some time with the girls and um, teach. And, and Lydia shared, and, then, and I shared in the evening. And um, one of the girls said to me, how do you hear the voice of God? Is it audible? And I said, well, when he speaks to me, it is. But the rest of you guys, no, I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. Not for a second. I said, no, I said, you know, I, I don't, I, I can honestly say I've walked with the Lord for 25 years and I don't know that I've ever heard. I never have heard an audible voice of God speak to me, an audible voice. I, I've had confirmation in my heart where God spoke to me as clear as an audible voice. And you could never take that from me. And though I didn't hear an audible voice, it was as clear and was as powerful and, as, and, and I know God spoke. And, 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 but here we have a couple times where the father literally speaks in an audible voice and those can hear it. And, and the same thing, he said the same thing as he did in his baptism. This is my beloved son, hear ye him. And the focus is on Jesus. Now, Peter makes the first mistake that Peter makes when he speaks up is he says, Jesus, it's great that you're here. We should make three tabernacles. And maybe Peter's like, yeah, I'm a good tabernacle builder. I'll help you guys out. I'll build one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. 
Now, now, do you see his first error there is that he puts Moses and Elijah and Jesus on a, on a, on a level playing field and the even thing for all three. Now, Moses and Elijah are not on the same playing field with Jesus. It's not even close. And, and, and why Moses and Elijah here? We'll talk about that in a minute. But, you know, like even Satan and Jesus, some people think that, that Satan and, and Jesus are um, arch enemies, that they're counterparts, they're opposites. There, there's no opposite. One is God and one is God's created being. You know, Satan and Jesus will have the clash of all clashes. Anybody know when that happens? When the Bible tells us that happens? At the great battle of Armageddon, at the end of Revelation, and Jesus comes back on a white horse, and Satan and his armies, the armies of Antichrist, show up 200 million strong, and there's a clash called the Battle of Armageddon. The Bible tells us it's going to take place in the Megiddo Valley in Israel. Now, listen. It's not going to be a clash. There's no fight. Jesus isn't even going to break a sweat. He's not even going to get off his horse. But he's just going to say, and it's over. That's it. He, he, he's with a spoken word. He's going to crush 200 million. And, and then he's going to call the birds of the world to circle around and eat the flesh of the dead bodies. And the blood is going to rise to the horse's bridle. But it's not a fight. There's no clash between Satan and, and Jesus. One is God and one is a created being. And so um, in this here, though, um, they're, they're completely, they're not on the same level. Now, the second thing is, um, why Moses and Elijah? Uh, do you, well, number one, Moses represents, you can write this down if you take notes, Moses represents the law and Elijah the prophets. So we have the law and the prophets here. And Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. You can't relate to God based on the law. You can't relate to Jesus anymore or God based on the prophets. The law and the prophets are both fulfilled in, in Jesus. Matter of fact, Jesus said all the law and the prophets is summed up in one word. What is that? Love. All the law and the prophets summed up in this one word, love. And so... But we have them represented here. Now, a lot of people believe that Moses and Elijah will be the two witnesses. I happen to be in that class in the, the two witnesses that will come back in the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation talks about um, in the middle of the great tribulation that God's going to send two witnesses out of heaven that are going to stand in front of the temple and they're going to do miracles. And at some point, the Antichrist is going to prevail against them and he's going to kill them and their dead bodies are going to lay in the streets and CNN and NBC and all the rest of the, the media will be there covering these dead bodies laying on the ground for three days. And after three days, God's going to raise them back up to life. Now, who are the two witnesses? We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us, but there's, there's a good reason why. And so, you know, it's to somewhat speculation, but there's a lot of, a lot of things that really point to these two Moses and Elijah here. Some people say, um, um, Moses and Enoch or because Enoch is one of two people in human history that never died a physical death. Remember Enoch's story there in Genesis? Enoch had this relationship with God. It says that they walked in the cool of the evening and him and God walked in the garden together and they just talked and spent time and God fellowshiped with him. And, and it says one day Enoch took a walk with God and he was not because God took him. So we have this, this kind of weird story, crazy story, where Enoch in the Bible just disappears because God takes him. So he never died a physical death. Even Jesus died a physical death, right? And there was one other person in the Bible, the Bible records, never died a physical death. Anybody? Elijah. Elijah was taken up into a, with a fiery chariot. And he never, he never experienced physical death. You remember his, his protege was a, another prophet by the name of Elisha. And Elisha wanted to be like Elijah. And Elisha said to Elijah, can, can I take over your ministry? Can I become what you are? Can I have your, 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 your anointing and your mantle put upon me? And Elijah tells Elisha, if you see me going up into heaven in a fiery chariot, then that's, that's a yes answer. If you don't see me, then the answer is no, you're not going to get it. And so one day Elisha sees Elijah going up in a fiery chariot. So Elisha and Enoch never faced physical death. The two witnesses are going to die physically. So that's the reason why some people believe it's Enoch and Elisha. But they're wrong. Because it's actually Moses and Elijah. 
And, and for several reasons, one is that Moses and Elijah here in the Mount of Transfiguration, they represent the law and the prophets. And the two witnesses are recorded for us in the book of Revelation as doing specific miracles. And one of the two witnesses shuts up the heavens so it doesn't rain. Does that sound familiar as somebody's miracle? Who did that miracle in the Old Testament? Elijah, that's what Elijah did. And then the other one turns blood into water. And who, who in the Old Testament turns blood into water? Moses. And so you see very similarities to Moses and Elijah there. And, and so these two represent the, the law and the prophets. Now, um, as we go on, and it says in verse 6, it says, And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid after the Lord spoke. But Jesus came and he touched them and he said to them, Arise. Say it like a say it like a general of an army. Arise, men. That's like a that's like a manly word. That's a Bible word that you could get behind. That'd make a great tattoo. I think it's my next one. Arise. Jay loved it so much he called the youth group Arise. But you see that Old Testament, New Testament, and you see it all over the place. But every time I read that word, I love it. It's just such a manly concept. Arise, men, let's fight in the spirit. And do not be afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus. You guys almost got that right. Jesus. You know, half the time if I pause in church and I'm trying to look for an answer, just say Jesus. A lot of time you'll be right. (laughs) Jesus only. So they didn't see they didn't see the law and the prophets. They only saw Jesus. Jesus was the only one that was left. And, and, and no more law, no more prophets focusing on Jesus. Now, a couple things here. Number one, in Philippians chapter 2, just turn there with me if you will really quick because this is super important. Now, I preached the heck out of this, uh, this passage already, so I'm not going to do it today. But it's so powerful that I want you to at least see it. Um, and this is, this is the, the part where Jesus leaves his glory and he comes, he comes down to earth. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 5 it says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation. Jesus made himself of no reputation. That's hard to believe, huh? It's powerful. Taking the form of a bondservant and, be, and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That preacher's just reading it. But in verse 8, it says, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. The Greek word for humbled himself there is kenosis. What it means is that he emptied himself. He, he, he emptied himself of what? We, we know without a doubt this here that Jesus emptied himself of certain qualities when he left heaven. But, but in John chapter 17 in verse 5, Jesus is about to die on the cross. John 17 is an entire chapter of red letters and it's Jesus praying to the Father hours before he's going to go to the garden and sweat great drops of blood and angels are going to come and minister to him. And he spends those last few hours and minutes with with God in prayer and it's recorded for us in John 17 and one of the things that Jesus prays in verse 5 is that God would return to him the glory with which he had before he became a man that it's time now he's going to die on the cross and when that happens and he rises on the third day that God would would give him back the glory that he gave up so, so the idea is just this. And when you, when you grasp what Jesus did for you, it's so powerful. It requires a response in your life. Jesus is the king of heaven. He's the God and the creator of all the universe and all that's in it. The Bible says that, that Jesus in his kingdom, that the angels who travel to and fro, whenever they happen to be in his presence, that, that they have this spontaneous reaction, emotional reaction, and they stop and they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And, and, and this this spontaneous combustion of worship when they see Jesus in his glory. Like men, imagine this. 
you're, you're in your house and you're, you know, you're walking around the house and your wife turns the corner and she sees you and she just stops husband. Oh, you're great. You and your glory. You know, and like every time she sees you, she just spontaneously combusts into, into praise for you. Like that's a pretty good household, right? That's a pretty good, ain't going to happen, right? Pretty good kingdom. Unless you live in Chris's house, then he got it like that. But the rest of us, I'm just kidding. But just a little glimpse to say that, that Jesus is in his kingdom. He's the God of, of heaven. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. Who does that? Who becomes, not, not takes on, like we think that Jesus took on our sin. He didn't take, just take on our sin. The Bible says he became sin so that you and I might become right with God. So that you and I might be able to have a right standing with God. We might become the righteousness of God. The Bible says that Jesus, who was rich, became poor. You know why? So that you might become rich. Who does that? How many of you guys get rid of everything that you have and go live in a street and push a cart so that somebody else could become rich? And, and this, this amazing kenosis in, 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 in um, Philippians chapter 2 of what Jesus emptied himself of. He emptied himself. You, again, if, if you can appreciate where and who he was and what he had before, he decided to take a walk down the Via Dolorosa where the people that he created would spit on his face, rip his beard out of his face, would put a bag on his head and punch him and then show him their hands and say, prophesy if you're God, which one of these hands punched you? And humbly took all that and, and appreciate who he was before that and where he was going. Now, that glory that is Jesus, if we could grasp that, you know that song I can only imagine? Now, I have to confess now, as a pastor, you'd think that, you know, I'd have been like in line on opening night to go see this Christian movie, right? I saw it for the first time this weekend. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I'm a sinner. Dude, it was so good. I cried for like an hour and a half. Like the movie was over for like 20 minutes. And Lydia was like, all right, enough already. The movie's been over for 20 minutes. I'm like, it was good. So good, dude. So good. You guys got to check it out if you haven't yet. I can only imagine. But the concept, it tells the story of how the song was born and the, the, the testimony of, of the lead singer for, I can, for uh, Mercy Me. But the, the concept was in the song is when the first time you see Jesus, what's that going to be like? How are you going to react when you see that glory that, that Peter and James and John got to see a little glimpse of here in the Mount of Transfiguration? And Jesus allowed them to see that and I think part of that was pouring into these three guys. Part of that was a, was a fire, man, that would burn so deep in their soul that, that they would be inspired to go, to walk, and they had seen it. And when you and I see it, mercy me got it right. I can only imagine how we're going to respond when we see Jesus for the first time because we're going to see that glory. Now, so, so that's part of the transfiguration. Now, just on a little side note here, kind of parenthetically, this Shekinah glory, we call it Shekinah glory. I don't think that's a biblical term, but it's, it's a church term, Shekinah glory, um, that, that Jesus glowed with or that we had. It's the same thing they've said that in the Holy of Holies where, um, where the veil of the temple protected it, where the Ark of the Covenant was, Moses built it in the tabernacle, and then Solomon built it in the temple um, that was in Israel, and it was that place where only the high priest would go once a year, where God's presence resided. And that in there was the, the, the Shekinah glory. Now this light, it says that Jesus shone with a light, an inner light. And in, in, as we've seen him in his glorified body, or not in the flesh anymore, but in his spiritual body, the body that he'll have, the body that you and I will have for all of eternity. Now listen, when the Bible says that Adam and Eve were naked in the garden, and then they, they covered, they sewed fig leaves and, and covered themselves with fig leaves because they realized their nakedness. The, the, the idea is not when God created Adam and Eve that they, they ran around the garden like butt naked like you and I would butt naked today. Like that, that's not what happened. That's not what it was like. Adam and Eve would, were created in God's image and they would have been clothed, but just not with, with cotton or with fig leaves. They would have been clothed in the Shekinah glory of God. 
before they fell, they, the, the body that they had before sin entered the world would have been the same body that, that would, have, would have had the Shekinah glory. And what happened when, when they realized their nakedness, that Shekinah glory of God left when sin and death entered the world. And then they, they sowed fig leaves. And so this is the, the, what, what Jesus has here. Now, I got 20 minutes and uh, we're going to get into another kind of direction with this. But I, I think it's super important and I think it's just something that, um, you know, I want to share with you guys. But I want us to turn, if you will. Now, one of the things that, that happens, turn with me, if you will, to Exodus chapter 19, Genesis, Exodus chapter 19. Now, the, in, in context, now follow this as you turn there. Listen, in context, the, where we are in Matthew 17 is about... Um, being on fire for Jesus. Somebody say on fire. Fire, fire right? So we, we talk about this concept. In order to be on fire, to be close to Jesus, to be intimate, to be personal with Jesus. Now, we have a very bad habit. Somebody say bad. Okay, you guys got to wake up today. Do we got to open the door or do something? I wish we had like some sprinklers in here. I'd turn them on every once in a while. We get a little shower, you wake up. I get it, I get it. I sit where you sit sometimes. Um, even if the sermon's good, sometimes just hard, right? But listen, stay with me for a few more, um, bad. So we have a bad habit in church. So we're talking about, okay. One of the bad habits, one of the bad, um, kind of, I don't know if it's a habit, if it's a, if it's a ritual, if it's just kind of something that's, that goes on. Um, we, we have the kind of the, the, you know, we have lots of strong personalities among our pastors and the God, the ones that God has called to teach and to lead. And, and sometimes in church, what, what happens is where you sit, we, we develop and I can develop the same thing. This idea that it's the pastor's job to, to go on the mountain and, and meet with God and then come and tell you what God said. And, and then, you know, you're, 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 you're not going on the mountain for yourself. You're content to let somebody else go up for you and then come and bring that to you. And I want to illustrate that. Look at, look at um, Exodus chapter 19. And look at with me at verse number 12. And it says, you shall set bounds for the people all around saying, take heed to yourselves that you may not go up on the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to say it ominously. It's like, you know, all these, these reality shows on TV, whether it's like, I don't know, the two multi survivors, you know, it's like every, every scene in the movie is like in the little sitcom or the, the reality show is if you step on that leaf. You could die and you got to be aware of these rocks because if you slip on them, you could die. And I'm like, goodness gracious, talk about over dramatization, but this is not. So what's happening here in context, let me, let me, let me unpack it for you real quick. In Exodus chapter 20, God is going to give the law of Moses to Moses. And then over the next 14, 15 chapters, and then in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Moses is going to again be rehearsing the law of God to the people. So Moses goes up on this famous place um, called Mount Sinai. And, and he meets with the Lord for long extended periods of time on Mount Sinai. And there God gives him the, the law of Moses. And then he comes off the mountain. And at one, one of the trips back down the mountain, he was carrying two famous tablets. What were written on them? Ten Commandments and that. Remember the this, this story, the this scene that he had been gone for 40 days and the, the, the children of Israel were getting in the flesh and they hadn't seen Moses in a while. So they, they took all their gold and silver and they fashioned a golden calf and they had a big bonfire and they were drunk and they were dancing naked around the fire to born to be wild. And there was this party going on and Moses comes down and he sees the children of Israel and he's angry because Moses had anger issues. He, he throws the tablets down and breaks them. And, and, and so Moses goes up on the mountain and he comes down. And, 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 and this is kind of the thing that's going on for a while. But, but here, as this sets up, what God says is, listen, nobody else can get anywhere near the mountain. Moses, tell the people to consecrate themselves and stay back. Because, because if anybody gets near or even touches the hand when I show up, look what it says um, in verse 13 of chapter 19. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. Even the animals. If there's a rabbit on Mount Sinai, when I show up, it's going to die. Nothing's going to live. Only Moses is going to come up and meet with me. Now, as we go through the story, God allows Aaron to go up at one point. Joshua gets to go and kind of be a part for a little bit. A few of the elders in this one little season. But for the most part, the model 
of, of the priest, of the leader, of the pastor, is to go up on the mountain, meet with God, talk to God about the people. God talks to, to the priest about, about the people. And then the priest comes down and tells the people what God said. And then, and then the people talk to the priest, and the priest goes up and tells God what the people said. And this is the, the, the thing of a priest. That's why, like in the Catholic Church today, this same model that, that existed for thousands of years still exists. And that's why when you go to the Catholic Church, they have a thing there called the what? Confessional. That's biblical. Until Jesus died on the cross. And, and you go into the confessional, and, and, and the, that priest model is, is the way that it was, and rightfully so. But something radical happened and Jesus died on a cross and, and, and we miss it because we were not Jewish. We're 2000 years removed, but there was something so significant and so awestruck that if we were there, it would have floored us. The significance and the power of what happened when Jesus died on the cross about quarter mile bird's eye a stone's throw from where Jesus is hanging on the cross is Solomon's temple. And in Solomon's temple, there, there, if you've seen the model, there's an outer court, there's an inner court, it's a table of showbread, there's an altar of incense, and then you keep working your progression into a place, and you finally get in this big, huge temple there on Temple Mount, this one small room, tiny little room called the Holy of Holies. And inside there is the Ark of the Covenant, and in the Ark of the Covenant is some of the manna, there's the Ten Commandments that Moses wrote the second time. And, and there's, there's um, Moses' staff that budded are kept in the Ark of the Covenant, the one that they carried when they crossed the Jordan River. And one time a year, the high priest, he goes into this one room and he takes the blood of a, of a lamb and he sprinkles it on top of the Ark of the Covenant on the mercy seat, which represents the sin of the people. And, and once a year, atonement is made for the sins. And this goes on in Israel for 2,000 years from the time Moses all the way until the time of Jesus. And the guy that went into the Holy of Holies once a year, they tied a rope around his ankle because if he died, they wouldn't go in after him lest they fall over dead. So they would pull him out with this rope. So it took thousands and thousands of the tribe of Levi to do the duties of, of the temple. There was hundreds of thousands of sheep that were sacrificed every year at Passover. There was, there was temple work that had to be done on a daily basis. The showbread and all the things and on and on and on and on. And the entire tribe of Levi, if you were born into the tribe of Levi, you were born into the priestly tribe of, of Israel. So you were, you were the, the pastors, the leaders, the priests, the um, people who worked on Sundays. And everybody else had on, on Sabbath, technically it was Friday, Saturday, worked on Sabbath. And so, but if you were one of the priests, you would live your whole life desiring, hoping to get to be the person that would go in to the Holy of Holies once a year. And they would decide by lots. And you would pray every year that your lot would get chosen and you'd do all everything that you had to do to work yourself to be holy and worthy enough to be chosen by lot, by God. To be the one person, one time a year that got to go in and experience what it was like in the presence of God. And guess what happened to thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of priests over all the years? They never got chosen to go in. It wasn't, it wasn't enough. Thousands of people weren't invited in. Just one guy. So many of them lived their whole lives and their dreams were never, 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 never um, realized. And then Jesus dies on a cross and the veil of the temple rents. And God says, everybody can come in, not just once, once a year, whenever you want, as often as you want. The lowest peasant, the, the, the loser nobody, the epileptic, the leper, anybody, everybody is welcome to come and be in the presence of God as often as they want. And then we say, oh, no, 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 just let the pastor go in. It's cool. Just let the priest go in. He can tell me what you said. I don't want to go in there. Like, I don't got time. Like, I'll just, I'll just hang out here. I'll just sit in my chair and let him go in and come back and tell me what he said. And, and, and we, we do develop a little bit of this model where we're okay just letting Moses go up on the mountain. And it was that way rightfully so for so many years where Moses just went up. Moses just went up. Moses just went up. Look, look at what it says. Um, turn, turn the page. 
um, one page to chapter 20 and look at verse 18. It says, now all the people witnessed the thunderings and lightnings and flashes and sounds of the trumpets and mountains smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. And then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear you. But let not God speak with us lest we die. So they were good with Moses just going in there like, ah, no, 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 it's cool. We'll just hang out back here. Let Moses do it. And again, to some degree, it was okay. But but that's that's not the case anymore. Now, now we all have, you all have the opportunity to go in. And here's what happens. You know, we do, um, and not to pick on anybody personally, but this is just a true story. And it's, it's true of our church. It's true of other churches. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to um, speak. They asked me to speak for a, a men's group here next month. And it, it's true of them at this other church. And they do this thing called stake and study. And they have like 300 guys show up and they give them stake. And then they'll, they'll stick around for a Bible study. And so they asked me to come share with them. And it's true there. And it's true there. But listen, we do a, a men's discipleship class here. We do women's um, Bible studies here. We go on women's retreats. We go on men's retreats. You know how many times I've heard the people say, the men say, you know, oh man, I was, I was never closer to the Lord than I was while we were doing that discipleship class every week. Like, man, we were really on fire during that time. Like, you need to keep doing that. We go to women's retreat and you have a mountaintop experience. Those of you just came back from the women's retreat and you come down off the mountain and what do you say? Oh, we should do that every month. We should do that like a couple times a year. That was so cool. Like I was so close to God during that time. And, and, and you know what? We, it's, it's, it's dangerous because then it becomes, you know, I'll, I'll do. It's really not that way. The, the, the men's discipleship class is not supposed to be something that the only time you're close to God is when the church is doing something that's condoning. The church is here to serve and help and promote those things, but they're not supposed to hold them up for a lifetime. It's not our job. It's not the pastor's job. It's not the leader's job. It, it's your responsibility to stay in a place where you're close to God. What we're trying to do is we're trying to build a spark, a fire under you that, that, that keeps you rolling. That's what the women's retreats are supposed to do. That's what men's retreats are designed to do. That's what specific discipleship groups are supposed to do. They're just, they're, but, but each one of us, listen, you all have the opportunity to be close to Jesus, to know Jesus personally and intimately. And, and when you stand before God one day and you stand before Jesus one day, guess who's not going to be standing next to you to give, to give you an excuse? First of all, I'm not going to be standing next to you. So you can't say, well, it's his fault that I'm not really close to you, Jesus. It's his fault that I didn't bear any fruit because he stopped doing that Bible study thing that I was really growing during. It's his fault. It's Lydia's fault because she only did women's retreat once a year where I really went up and got really close with God. Now, was that harsh? Praise God. I'm not trying to beat anybody up. I'm not. I love you guys. I'm trying to encourage you. And I'm just trying to tell you, listen, I want to encourage you though. Listen, you have the most amazing invitation to be intimate and personal with God in your life. And, and I want to be very careful. One of the things that happened is I watched a pastor fall really hard. And this pastor was really probably the most dynamic speaker I've ever heard in my life. This is a true story. And I mean this, this guy could preach. He's, he, he went to a church of 300 people. And in five years, there was 3,500 people attending this church because this dude could preach. But he was really good at drawing disciples unto himself. And then it turns out that he was sleeping with the secretary for the last two years before they caught him. And, and, and when he fell devastated a lot of people and 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 you know what the problem was do you, you know for you and i it shouldn't be that way now it, it's an epidemic in the church pastor falls he's sleeping with somebody it's not his wife he runs off with the church money you hear it all too often on a big scale i mean back from the days of jimmy swaggered to the days of you know some calvary pastors the largest calvary chapel in america was the calvary chapel fort lauderdale 10,000 people on a Wednesday night. And the pastor fell hard into sexual sin. And it devastates a lot of people. And the Bible says that, you know, that it gives the enemies of God the occasion to blaspheme. Because they're going to say, I told you so. Look at that. You say that God, that Jesus. And look at, look at the people that claim to know him. And they're falling like this and that. But I'm going to tell you something. If you're a mature believer in Jesus Christ and that causes you to stumble... You got your eyes on the wrong person. You better get your eyes off the pastor. 
You better get your eyes off the leadership. You better get your eyes on Jesus only. Because when this was all done, only Jesus was left. And it's about Jesus. And it's Jesus, 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 Jesus. Now, I have a call. I, I mean, it's, it's right what we do here. We're supposed to equip. We're supposed to. But listen, it, the, the word of God is, is the bread of life, Jesus said. And, and, and you should come here and hopefully you get some steak. You get some meat while you come here. But if you ate a piece of steak on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock once a week, how healthy would you be? It wouldn't be very healthy, right? And, and if, you, if you're not eating steak on your own, if you're not spending time with Jesus where he's pouring into you, where you're growing, where you're in the word for yourself, that's why we're encouraging people all the time. Read your Bible and pray every day. It doesn't have anything to do with you accomplishing something. Read your Bible in a year. I don't care if you actually finish the whole Bible in a year or two words in a year. If every day you went in and spent time with Jesus, that's the goal. Is growing, is eating, is, is you know, and then what happens is if it, 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 you're not necessarily needing to come here to eat steak. You're like, yeah, whatever. Like, I ate filet mignon all week. I'm going to come here on Sunday and eat that flapjack stuff you're serving. <laughs> like, I just came, I, I came to give what I got. I, ca- I, came, to, I came to share. I came to, I came to bless somebody, man. I came to give away part of the meals that, that, that I've been just spending time with Jesus all week and eating. And God has been pouring into me because I've been spending the time on the mountain with Jesus. And I don't need the pastor. And you don't need the pastor. As soon as you need the pastor... You're in the wrong church. You know what pastor you want to follow? You know what church you want to be a part of? If you believe that your pastor spends time with Jesus, if he prays and reads his Bible, whether he can preach or whether he can, whatever, he's dynamic or his strengths or his weaknesses, you need a Moses model. You need someone that you believe is hearing from God, is spending time with God. And then you can receive. And then we, you know, um, but we do have a responsibility to grow in Jesus that belongs to you. And you have an amazing God who loves you so much. You have an amazing invitation to, to spend time with Jesus by yourself, to read the Bible by yourself, to grow by yourself, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. All right, we just got a few minutes left. Um, so in the... Um, where, are you guys still in Exodus or are we back in Matthew? All right, well, let's do this. Let's do this quick. Let's do this real quick. If you're still in Exodus, look at me, if you will, real quick. Exodus chapter 34 in verse 29 and the bottom half, it says that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with them. In verse 33, it says, and when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. And in verse 35, it says, and whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses face shone. Then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him, until he went in to speak with God. The New Testament tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter um, 3, or 2 Corinthians chapter 3, that Moses didn't want to see the glow diminish. So Moses would spend time in the presence of God. Why did Moses glow? Why did his face shine? His face shined because he had spent time with God and he was reflecting the glory of God in his life. Do you know what happens when you spend time with God in your personal life? You're going to reflect the glory of God. And guess what? Jesus said, people will know you by your fruits. And so people are going to see that on you. It's called your countenance. People look at you. They don't, you don't have to say a whole lot sometimes. People know if you're doing well. People know if you're, you know, where your countenance is, if you've been sleeping, if you've been having hard times, if, if you're doing well in the Lord. Sometimes you can just look at somebody and tell those things. And the more time you spend with Jesus, we get this Moses model that, that, that God, people can see that in your life. And you can't fake that. And, and again, it's just being intimate, spending time with Jesus, spending time in the word. The, the more you do it, the more you grow, the more you pray, the easier it becomes. The more you hear the voice of God, the more God answers your prayers, the more um, contagious it becomes, the more on fire you want to stay. I'm a soul on fire. All right. So we got just a minute left, you guys. Let's, let's go back to Matthew because there's one last section I want to cover in the last minute. And it says... Um, so Jesus only in verse eight, and then look with me, if you will, real quick at verse 14, it says, and when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So the young man was suicidal. He was trying to throw himself in the fire. He was trying to throw himself in the water. He was demon possessed. Oftentimes demon possession has a lot to do with demonic activity. I'm sorry, 
Demon possession has a lot to do with suicidal tendencies. And and then Jesus answered and said, Oh, faithless and perverse. Underline those two words in your Bible. They're they're crucial to the context of what what we're reading here. Faithless and perverse generation. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. And then the disciples came to Jesus privately saying, what, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, somebody say unbelief. unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if, you're, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, um, so the concept is that this dad brings this son to the disciples and he's demon possessed and the disciples can't cast him out. Now, praise God for this dad. He just doesn't give up. What does the dad do? Where does he take his son next? To Jesus. And where should we take our kids that are struggling, that are demon possessed, that are having a hard time? Where do we take them? We take them to Jesus. You drag them to church. You drag them out in the shed. You drag them wherever they got to go. You take them somehow. You get them to Jesus. And, and you bring them to Jesus and you keep bringing them and you keep bringing them. Whether they like it or not, you bring them to Jesus. And this dad was resilient and he brings the, the kid to Jesus. And Jesus casts the demon out and immediately it says the young man as well. And then the disciples pull Jesus aside and they said, how come we couldn't cast the demon out? And Jesus said, oh, you faithless and perverse generation, how long you know, do I need to be with you? He said, because of your unbelief. And then he went on and said, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. Now, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. It has nothing to do with a rite of exorcism. Jesus wasn't saying how, wasn't even talking about the demon. What comes out by prayer and fasting is unbelief. What in context, it's not some rite, like if we all start going out and praying and fasting that, you know, that that, that we're just going to go around with fireballs casting demons out because we prayed and fasted and these kind come out by prayer and fasting. That's not what he's talking about. Just like when he said, if you say to this mountain, be ye removed. That's an idea of faith, big faith. But I promise you, nobody has ever said to the Stansberries, Stansberry Mountains, I command you to move to this side in Jesus' name. And the Stansberries moved. It's never happened. It's not going to happen. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about having a mountain of faith. How many of you guys are Christians have ever tried that though, right? Like when you first read this, you're like, well, Jesus said I could move mountains. All right, I tried it. I, I've tried to make rain stop before. That didn't work either. I said, be still like Jesus did to the storm. It just kept raining on me. But, but the concept here is for your face to glow. And we're done, you guys. Listen, I'm keeping it in context. So for your face to glow, you got to spend time with Jesus. Okay? And, and, and then if, if you want to be intimate and personal with Jesus and you want to see fruit in your life, yes, the church has a responsibility to serve and to help you in that. But ultimately, it's, it's, it's not the church that is going to be your excuse whether you have a good relationship with Jesus or not. That's between you and God. And every one of you have the same invitation that we all do. And we all have a different call. We all have a different gift. We all have a different talent. Mine and, 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 and Jackie and Larry who do so much in children's ministry and different things. Our call, one is not better than the other, just different. Monica, who helps with our finances. Hers and I's. Her, mine's not better than hers. Hers not better than mine. We're, 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 we're co-laborers in that. I just happen to be the one that, that, that preaches and she takes care of the finances. So, but, but every, every gift coming together, working together. But each one of us with our own responsibility to be faithful to the things that God's called us to. And so you say, okay, I get it. I'm with you. I want to be close to Jesus. I want to bear fruit in my life. I want to stop taking my lack of growth and, ba- and, and blaming somebody else for that. That I, I know now I have the opportunity to go into the Holy of Holies for myself whenever I want to go in. How do I do that? What's hindering me? How do I grow like John the Apostle? How do I grow like some of these people that were really close to Jesus? And then we come to this next section of this demon possession. And it's not there by accident. It's there to illustrate what the next step is. And the next step is this pre-preparation of, of fasting and praying of being ready, of being prayed up, of being prepared. You know, at this point, when Jesus said this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting, the disciples couldn't say, okay, then pause the world, pause time. We're going to go away. We're going to get prayed up and fasted up. And then we're going to come back. Like it was too late, right? Like if they weren't ready right then, it wasn't going to happen. And Jesus already cast the demon out. It's living in that preparedness. It's, it's living in the power. 
And, and this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting is that unbelief of, of, of the disciples who, who didn't believe that God was going to work in their lives. And the Bible says that you prophesy according to your faith. So what you expect to happen is probably what's going to happen in your life. You expect God to do nothing. Guess what you're going to see in your life? A whole lot of nothing. You expect God to do big things in your life. God, God will do big things in your life. You prophesy according to your faith. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Hey, I, I want to just share one last thing, you guys, as we stand. You know, I, I started to share a little bit, but I, I, there's something still heavy on my heart. Um, you know, when, when a pastor falls, when a ministry leader falls into some kind of sexual sin or temptation, it, you know, it, it, always, it always devastates the church. And, and, and listen, it, I, I get it, you know, and I get it. And some people just aren't mature enough to, to be able to handle it. But the reality is, and I think I said this already, you know, and for those that fall or those that, that hits them hard, they got their eyes on the wrong person. And if your eyes are on Jesus, shouldn't affect us. There was a, there was a guy in human history who fell really hard in the same way. And of all the people in, in human history, this particular person was the closest to Jesus that there's ever been anybody. He spent more personal time with Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He lived with Jesus. He slept where Jesus slept. He ate where Jesus ate. He heard every speech. He heard every sermon. He watched every healing. He watched and lived everything that Jesus did firsthand. And he fell hard into sin. You know who that was? Judas Iscariot. How many of the 11 disciples' faith was rocked when Judas Iscariot fell? How many of the 11 said, oh, I told you so? How, ma how many of the 11 blamed God for Judas' sins? None. Why? How come it didn't even hurt any of the disciples? None of them didn't rock any of their faith when Judas fell into sin. Because every one of them had their eyes on Jesus. Every one of them was focused on Jesus and Jesus only and Jesus only. And they had a, a faith that was stronger than that. And, and, and listen, I never want to be that guy. I, I don't, you know, and I realize I can be. There's nothing that, that would keep me from, from stumbling and falling if I don't keep safeguards and blocks in my life and my ministry. And I never want to hurt anybody. And I, I know that that would, that would hurt folks. It really would. And I don't want to be that guy. I mean it. But I, but I also know that I got to be on my guard. I'm not, a, I'm not above falling. If I don't stay close to Jesus, if I don't put safeguards in my life, if I don't do things to, you know, all these guys, all these pastors, all these leaders who fell in, in the faith, Every one of them really were moved and touched by Jesus at one point in their lives. And when I told you about in Florida, again, he was one of the best Bible teachers I, I, I've ever seen. There's a reason why 10,000 people came out to hear the guy speak every Wednesday night and 30,000 on a Sunday morning. And he was, he was moved by God and he, he fell into a sin. And so just being on our guard, staying close to Jesus, staying close to Jesus, staying close to Jesus, Jesus only, focused on Jesus. Not Moses, not Elijah. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you.